Alan Kring Productions, in association with Emergent Light Studio, presents the Illinois State Collegiate Compendium, Academic Lectures in Business and Economics. This is Business Finance, FIL 240, for Autumn Semester 2023. Today, review number one for the uh, final exam. Now, I'm going to go through the basics of the, just the outline of it. And then I will do that also, of course, on Wednesday, just to make sure everyone has it. And then one of the things that I have given you was that list of terms. And what I'd like to do as much as anything else for this session, since I obviously can't do spreadsheets and math on the whiteboard or on the overhead, what I'm going to do for this session is I'm going to entertain questions you have about some of the terms on that definitions sheet. If something you're blanking on or you can't find it in your notes, this is your chance to do it. But the first thing let me do here with this session, or this is, my God, I look bad on this camera. Anyway, uh, well, I did the no ugly button, but it said rejected. Okay, here, first things first, the final exam. It is approximately 65 questions. Now, again, I say pro approximately because some of the questions are multiple part. Uh, so, and there is a matching section uh, in this final exam like there was before. And so that kind of is a bunch of questions right there. If I'm not, if I'm recalling right for the final exam, there are eight matching. And you shouldn't have a lot of trouble with those. I'm not going into really complex issues, but it's a great place to test your knowledge of definitions. Uh, Short-term funds, money, long-term funds, capital, uh, uh, questions like that. Or uh, the market in which uh, a company will raise funds from the sale of stocks. Well, that would be a capital market. Those kinds of questions, those kinds of uh, items would be in a multiple choice kind of an environment. So that there's that, but I'm getting a little away from the main thing. Now, as far as the numerical questions go, not any curveballs. I've decided it's going to be the questions that you've seen on the midterm, and on the uh, quizzes uh, uh, that I've already given you. So that should not be a major challenge. Your big thing, of course, is obviously to make sure that you have all the spreadsheets ready to go. And as I recommended on uh, the midterm and on quizzes, it doesn't hurt for you to load them up so that you already have them uh, running when you start the exam. That way you're not looking around for them and trying to download them or something like that or find the file on your in your directories. Have those ready. Now I'll go into the details on each of the questions, but you're not going to see anything that you have not seen up to this point. I was, uh, well, I was contemplating maybe doing a question where you had mutual exclusive projects but I got that one out of there because I was just loading too many numerical questions onto it. You've been doing really well on the multiple choice, or rather on the numericals. And that means that you probably will have pretty good success on the, uh, on the um, final exam in that part. Couple of cautions, let me make sure you know that Canvas is really precious about itself with these numericals. I went through and I corrected a lot of questions, uh, gave people credit back when Canvas threw a decimal place in that you didn't mean to be there. Make sure you review your question. Make sure that you look at your answers to make sure, well, I didn't mean to have a decimal there and go back and fix it because Canvas it even did it to me when I was putting the answer keys up, that it changed that, that 31,000 or whatever it was, 150. It actually changed that on me to 31 point. And I thought to myself, well, I must have screwed up. 
No, I think it's doing it on its own. So just go back and make absolutely sure that you've got your right answers. Uh, the answer that you put down stays the right answer in Canvas. Just a little caution to you. Now, as far as other types of questions go, there are true and false, multiple choice, and there are a couple of fill in the blank, but they're not a terribly difficult fill in the blank. The main focus, of course, is on obviously questions that I have already put to you on quizzes in midterm. And as I've said before, I tend to have a habit of copy and paste of questions from the quizzes and from the midterm. They show up on the final. Sometimes it's exactly the same question with just the answers in a shuffled order. Sometimes it's the same question with just a variation in the words and terms or the numbers. But that's a big thing that for me is to make sure that you have, I've already tested you on the objectives. Now with the assurance that you have learned is that you can do it on the final exam as well. So use those quizzes and that midterm. I noticed that I hadn't got, it looked like I hadn't allowed for the correct answers to be shown on the midterm. I fixed that now. You see anything like that with the, on the, if you see the midterm or quiz and the correct answers aren't there for you to review, let me know via email. Hang on. Hmm. Looking around here, make sure no one's wondering why the hell I'm sitting in a quiet place in the middle of nowhere in this hospital uh, as I'm trying to get you guys speed for this exam. How you doing? Security. I don't think he likes me. Well, okay. Okay, now, anyway. So what I do, make life better for you. Okay, uh, now, the true and false. I am anticipating from my initial count, and I have not finalized it, obviously, but I am anticipating that the final count will be uh, eight true false, and then you'll have a battery of questions that are in the typical uh, multiple choice. I've had some hate put on me for the ones where choose check all the boxes that are correct or whatever, and so I am holding back on doing that because there was some rather hard fury at me for those. I'll probably have a few of those on there, but I won't go overboard with it. Now, as far as um, if, if, okay, let's go back through. The exact date, uh, I, I can't pull right now. Go into Canvas to that home page, scroll to the very bottom, and you will see the dates of the, of the uh, final exam for section one and the time of the final and day of the final exam for section two. If you do that right now and let me know that you can see it, I would appreciate it because that's it's in there. But uh, sometimes Canvas doesn't do what I am absolutely sure I had it do and all of that. Uh, but what else was I thinking? Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Thank you. Monday, December. The, that's right, because it's like they're back to back. The one first one is Monday. And what was that? What was the time again on that? Uh, hang on. I'm hoping that it's not. Oh, noon to two, 12, 10 to two, 10. OK, that's very, very nice. Uh, because uh, it's not super early. I hate those ones that were at 7.30 in the morning. Sometimes FIL 2.40 has just this ungodly 7.30 or 7.50, something like that. So everyone comes in looking like uh, they just got out of bed or they're still not quite with it. 
But anyway, this will be a good time for it. Now, obviously, computer. Yeah, okay, let me go through this. I'm glad I'm a little off my game here, as if I ever am on my game completely. Okay, the final exam. Obviously, your computer is available to you. The exam will be in Canvas, and your and it will be password protected, and it will also be IP locked, so that it would you'd have to be in the building, either in the classroom or down in the computer lab, to be able to do it. And uh, you are allowed, obviously, the computer, and you are allowed two four by six inch note cards front and back. The way the reason I do this is because you have one from the midterm exam, so that saves you having to write one unless you threw that one away, and then you have another one. Uh, so that's two four by six note cards front and back, and I do that because that's a great study guide for you, preps you up for it. <laughs> really? Oh, I can switch over here. Let me try something here. I'm wanting to know the... By the way, you can talk on this too. Uh, give me a second here. Let me do something here. Okay. Let me close this. Give me a second here. See if I can find the spreadsheets folder. Spreadsheets. Now the ones that are, I'll give them to you, and they're almost in order, but the spreadsheets bond calculations. Now there are two of those. There's bond calculations and bond calculations enhanced. Either one can do it for you, but I've just souped up the bond calculations enhanced um, a little bit. And then you've got some examples of free cash flow. And then you're going to have loan payment. Guarantee you that you'll do a loan payment on the final exam. Car loan, mortgage loan. Those are almost, it's just, very easy to do. And with those kinds of problems, your answer will either be really ridiculously wrong or it will look like it's pretty much probably the right answer. That's a nice thing about those kinds of loan payment problems. Either you're going to get a loan payment that seems reasonable for the problem or you're going to get something that's way out in left field. Okay, so now the next one is the NPV and IRR. I'll ask you that. Make sure that you have it up. You know how to use it. You know what to put in where. Dear God, I can hear that piano clear down here. Now, present value and future value. Present value and future values. That spreadsheet. Core objective. They should know how to do a net present value and a future value. And I'll talk more about these on Wednesday. We'll even go through a problem or two if you want. Make sure that you can do it. I mean, risk and return, yeah, that's the cap M. That's that's almost as that's almost one of those where it's faster to do it on a calculator kind of thing. Stock valuation. Now, the one that is WAC1, weighted average cost of capital. That's that one that is tedious, but if you put the numbers in correctly, it it's not bad. It's one where you have to find the weights of each one, find out how much stock there is, how much in debt there is, and all that kind of stuff. Again, that's more of the stuff that I do on Wednesday when I'll be with you in person and we can see it on the whiteboard and on the overhead projector.
Um, I can't see this. Oh, that should be the extent of the problems that will need the, uh, the spreadsheets that would be useful for you on the final exam. I decided, as I said, there's one for mutually exclusive projects, but I've decided to kick that off the exam. Doesn't have much productive use. Well, where the heck am I? Oh, there I am. Okay. Now, uh, what else? What I got to say is preliminaries for the, again, your note cards. You make sure you have your computer all powered up and ready to go for the exam. Hang on, I love you. So the only spreadsheets we need to know are the bond calculations, loan payment, MPVIRR, present value, future value, maybe the risk and return one, stock valuation, and the WAC. And that's WAC one. There looks like there's another one, but I think it's hidden from you. But it's the WACC space one uh, dot XLSX. And that covers it. Yeah. And I mean, I actually make those somewhat more robust as far as points go, because you have a very high, from, my, from what I see on your performance on midterm and the quizzes, you have a very high score rate on those. So I tend to give those good weight on the final so that that will beef up your score for when you, because you are going to obviously probably trip up on some of the true or false or multiple choice questions or something like that. This helps by having those, what look like tough numerical problems have higher weight. Ooh. Okay. Kids love a teacher. Anyway, uh, where was I? Um, oh, yeah. And um, I think there's something else that you should you can have. Oh, that formula sheet, that financial ratios formula sheet. You can bring that with you to the final, just like you could to the midterm. Oh, I was forgetting something. Yeah. Print that up. Tell you how you do it. Uh, if someone want to know. Okay, the grade book is up to date. I don't know if many of you saw it, but the midterm exam scores vanished from the grade book for a few days. It was the weirdest thing, and then they're back. So the easiest way to do it would be to say, okay, you take your percentages that you've gotten in each of the sections times the weight of that, that part of the course. You add all those up. Now, once you've done that, you choose your grade, like 90%, okay? So you take uh, 90 per, uh, you take the 90% and, well, this is hard to do without, you know what I'll do? I'll put up an announcement. And I'll just show you, there's a formula you can always use. It's just a little bit of algebra. But basically, you take uh, your chosen, I want to get a 90 in the court, 90%. So you take 90%, not minus what you've gotten already in the weighted, and then you divide it by uh, 0.7. And that'll tell you 0.7, or yeah, that'll tell you what you have to score on the final to get that 90%. But I'll, I'll put it up as an announcement when I can get back to my flat after they let me go here. But, yeah, uh, it's a reasonable question. 
what am I thinking here? Okay. Yeah, financial analysis, no cards, Excel sheets, computer, and that should be enough to bulk you down and make you ready for the exam. Be sure to go through that list of terms. It's 116 words and terms, and they were all covered in the course, one place or another. If you want me to give you one right now or a couple, just type it in the chat, what you, the, the term, and I'll give you a quick definition of it and, re, and try to remember the context in which I gave you that definition. So that term sheet, again, is in your files folder in Canvas, and it just says uh, terms, list, uh, terms list, and it's a PDF file. And that is, if you have those terms down and the right definitions of them, you've clocked through a substantial amount of the narrative word word types of questions on the final exam. And they're and pretty much all of those are fair game. It's an amazing thing that you do go through a lot of terms. Have you updated the grades? Um, okay, there are probably some Excel crash course uh, wins that I haven't put in yet. I go in there and I'll go in there again tonight. They were current as of Saturday night, but some people have aced it or gotten their score. Now, the way it works, someone asked me this. If you get it at Wall Street Prep, you do their course, you get that final exam, and 80% or above means you get a certificate. For me, that means you get 100% for that 5% of the course. You get 100%. So anything in 80 and above you got 100% for uh, 5% of my course. If you get below an 80%, you're not certified. I do, however, get you whatever percent, put whatever percent you did in for your score for it. So if you got a 70% on the final exam on that of that Excel crash course, well, you don't get a certificate, but you do get a 70% written in, uh, logged in to... Uh, the Canvas gradebook for you in this, what they call the speed grader in there. So even if you don't accomplish it, you still get something out of it. But most people are, most people are taking it, are doing fine. They're getting, they're getting their good grade and all that. But um, yeah, other than that, the grades should be up to date. If you see a glitch, for heaven's sakes, just email me. Hey, professor, this doesn't look right. Can you check this score? And I'll go back and I'll run the audit. No, well, it's not me. It's actually Wall Street Prep. I believe they allow you one retake on it. But then if you don't do the get it, if you're not satisfied with the score on the retake, then you have to go back and re-register for the course again. But I believe that they do allow for a retake on it, on that final exam. But if you didn't, re oh, that's another thing. A couple of folks went in and registered on their own without going through the link that I've given you in Canvas. Now, that's not going to show up in my grade book there in, uh, in my dashboard there in Wall Street Prep. So please be sure that you, if you didn't register, I will, you need to tell me so I can go and check the certificate number for what you did. Or you send me a screenshot of your certificate. If you did it through the normal channels, you don't need to send me a certificate. I'll see it in my grade book. Like I said, I'm trying to update it about every other day. It does not feed directly in. Three lowest. That's wrong on the final. The three lowest quizzes are dropped. Unless you want me to drop only the lowest two. You know, just let me know if you want me to drop only the two lowest quiz scores. It's your three lowest quiz scores. Three sounds good. Uh, 
three lowest quiz scores and also your three lowest on the uh, <laughs> all of a sudden the chat with the chat is going crazy uh and uh your three lowest quiz scores and your three lowest homework scores in canvas okay i've got to go in and find out for sure how that works here's what i here's what it how it works canvas is doing it but i've got to see if that automatically transfers over to, uh, I'm sorry, Cengage is already doing it. Okay, hang on here. Uh, Cengage is already doing it. But if Canvas is, um, if Canvas, I've got to check to make sure that it is doing it too. That it's just one of those things where the communication should be perfect, but sometimes it's not. So I go in and I just take a bunch uh, sample of the different scores and I see if Canvas is calculating the correct percentage for you, course percentage, dropping three, or if it's including all of them. If it isn't dropping the three, I have to do a manual uh, force it to drop three. It should be doing it straight from can from Cengage, but I don't know. I'll have to find out for myself. Okay, now to your question, OBV. Really? Send me a name and I'll find out how that's working. That's weird. I'll have to find that out because I'd never seen that happen before. Really? Well, did you finish the course, Janet? Jeanette, did you finish the course? Kind of strange. I wonder why it would be scoring it out as 100%. Okay, take the exam. That might just be a preliminary thing because you completed the quizzes, but it would then at the end clock back. So that's a little strange though. I'd never had that happen before. Really tired of the glitches in the matrix right now. Uh, but anyway, get to terminology. OBV, that is on balance volume. That is the number that you see for the volume in the in the screens for uh, a stock. The volume today versus the vol fifty-two week volume; those are on balance volumes. That is what the volume, the number of stock shares of a company that have been bought and sold through the brokerage houses. There is, however, another avenue called the dark markets, where very wealthy shall we say, interests do trading of stocks that aren't on the official books. So when it says for some stock, the volume, that is the on-balance volume, they don't say it that way, but it's the on-balance volume, was 5 million shares. That is not including trades that would have happened through the dark markets, which might be substantial sometimes. Matter of fact, they're beginning to get rather noticeable, especially with certain types of stocks, certain stocks, certain types of individuals and trusts and families and institutions are not going through the broker. So it's not counting theirs. You know, there will be a stock screen. There will be a screen. One of those, like I did on the midterm exam, same type of questions. It'll just be round two. Do you know by the end of the course how to look at the front screen to tell risk of a stock? Do you know, is it undervalued, overvalued? Uh, if you bought 100 shares, how much would you pay? If you sold 100 shares, how much would you get? And also, it'll be there will be one of those capital gain yield questions or the uh, total holding period return types of questions. That's why last week I was pulling those up and I say one last round, let's look at the how much you're going to make on this stock if you hold it for a year. I did uh, Bristol Myers and a, a Tesla and a couple others. So yeah, you'll, it's just midterm one. It's just the midterm and this is round two of it. Same, just another screen from right before the exam and uh, the same uh, types of questions. So, yeah, you'll have to read stocks. That's one of the objectives. And it shouldn't be bad because that was a 
dramatically high scoring part of the midterm exam. So go ahead. What else do you have for me? Go ahead, make my day. I got a full battery, which is now down to 77%, but there's that. See how quiet it is? Anyway, what else you got for me? Now, some of these are obviously will be from the midterm. There are certain, certain ones. Fill or kill. Okay. No, this one's a fun one. Okay. You are my broker, okay? And I call you. Ring, ring. Hello. Are you my broker? You say, why, well, yes, I am. And I say, okay. I want you to buy one round lot TSLA at $205 per share, fill or kill. And what that means is that if you can find me 100 shares at 205 my spec price, you fill it. If you can't find it at that price or better, then kill the order. Just drop it. So you find, well, the best I can do is 20550 It's automatic. You kill it. That's all there is to it. At that moment, you can't fill my order, so it dies. Now, if you found some of it cheaper, wait a minute. What does it say? Let me look at it. Oh, it, you are in FI, so uh, Canvas, it says on Monday. But on my Illinois state, I am in. Well, yeah, if you're, okay. The only number that shows on the front end of Canvas is FIL 24001. However, if you, it, that just includes 02 because 01 is the base. And so if you're in FIL 24002, that's your registered course then you have it on the Tuesday, the FIL 24002 listing down there at the bottom of the canvas. The FIL 24001, which is that front panel, all that, I, I don't know why they do it, but they just show the base. But then when you go in, if there is anything different about FIL 24002 from FIL 24001, then you'll see it. Like there on the homepage, you go down to the bottom, you'll see that the the dates are different for the different ones. Wait, that was weird. Well, why I did that? That was odd. Okay. Hmm. The okay for the Excel crash course. You're already getting the promo because the course is $39, and by arrangement, you get it for the $30, which is the discounted price for my students. So it's already got the promo built in. I'll write that down. Okay, good enough. Anyway. Okay, moving on back to the, see what else I got, let me. Regulation D and Regulation A. Those are ways that a company can raise money by selling stock without going through a full monstrous registration with the SEC. All it means is that 
you aren't uh, a company is going to raise stock, raise money. It's going to sell stock. Now, normally, if a company sell uh, wants to raise money by selling stock, it has to file this incredible number of documents with the SEC. However, for small offerings, and as long as you are making the offerings to more or less sophisticated investors, you can get by without doing all of that registration. They are exemptions from registration. And the investors you're getting would have to qualify for them. That's what that's what regulation and in other words, we are real we are going to raise ten million dollars by selling stock to sophisticated investors in in reliance on regulation D or in reliance on regulation A. There's simply exceptions to the rule that stock has to be registered with the SEC. It's quite it's convenient, but there are limits. Obviously, you can't raise lots of money doing it this way. In most cases, you have to you sell only to sophisticated investors, ones that know know how to read financial statements, have the money so that they could lose. Uh, it if the company doesn't pan out the way they want to. So in other words, this if you register stock, you can sell it to anyone you want. But if you don't register it, you are automatically relying on the rules for an exemption. Let's see what else we got here. Good grief. Uh, DM. Where is it? Round lot, 100 shares. An odd lot is something other. Now, that used to be an important term because if you ordered an odd lot, I want to buy 42 shares, they'd charge you extra for that. In any more, though, it doesn't matter. However, we still use the term round lot rather commonly because a lot of investors do buy in blocks of 100 or multiples of 100. So we still have that term round lot around. Even though, it, I mean, nowadays you can even buy fractions of shares. A lot of brokers allow you to buy like 0.2 shares of Microsoft or something like that. So the odd lot thing is not really around anymore, but we do still use the term, and you'll hear the term once in a while, a round lot. So when I say you go long a one round lot of this company's stock, that means that you are buying 100 shares. So again, if I said you go long one round lot MSFT at – $423 a share. That means that you are going to pay 100 times the ask price. Now, if you're selling a round lot of MSFT, you would be saying, I am going to, uh, I want to sell one round lot MSFT. And that would, and in that case, your proceeds, what you get from it would be a hundred times the bid price. Remember the, the remember the bid is what you will sell at. The ask is what you will buy at. The bid is less than or equal to this uh, ask price. Follow me. Okay. What else do you have for me? Bourse. That is the European term for a stock exchange. So I say the New York Stock Exchange, but I would say the Zurich Bourse. It just makes you sound more sophisticated. You're not, you're not just knowledgeable about the American markets, but that's a term that's just over there. So if you decide you're going to move to another country you and you still want to do investments, well, then you would be investing. The stocks are listed on the bourse of that country or one of the bourses if it's a 
larger company with a country. And make sure, by the way, just while I'm thinking about it, just throwing it out, make sure you know the difference between exchanges and indexes. And as I told you before, in, uh, exchanges are like the New York Stock Exchange, the American Stock Exchange, the NASDAQ. Um, there, there are small regional exchanges like the Philadelphia Exchange, Philiax, and those. If you see a quote that is on something that has a number after it, like the S&P 500, the Russell 2000, the Wiltshire 1000, that means that you are looking at just an index. It is a pretend hypothetical portfolio of stocks put together, and then they quote the price of that hypothetical pro portfolio. Covenants. Those are the terms and conditions within a contract. Now, I use the term in, ter uh, in an indenture agreement. What creates a bond? In other words, you're going to have lenders and you're going to have a borrower. The indenture agreement is the agreement on how much is going to be lent and borrowed and on what terms that amount is going to be repaid. Now, the covenants are all of the terms and conditions. How much, what interest rate, who's in charge of uh, keeping an eye on the board of directors, uh, when the payments are made, all of those details. Those are the parts of the contract. And the term covenants is actually any contract would have covenants. But we... But I used it in the context of the um, of bond indenture agreements. Oh, okay. 10K, 10Q, 8K. Those are the filings that the company makes with the SEC. Now, the 10Q is the quarterly statement of... What they've what they've done that quarter, so the third quarter 10Q would give all of the things that happened, including the financial information, for that quarter only. Then 10K is a compilation of what happened for the entire year. In other words, it builds up the cues, and then says this was the whole picture for the whole year. Now. Well, the, and these are required. If a company is a public company, they must file these. And they have their certain dates and all that kind of stuff. And if you're in a corporation that's a public corporation, you will know, especially when the 10K is coming due, because there's all kinds of activity and you might be sucked into the maelstrom of getting all the numbers together for the accountants, getting all the numbers together for the uh, an anal uh, an analysts in the company for other purposes. So now the AK is something different. It is a document that must be filed by a corporation if something unusual happens, a non-recurring event. An AK would be filed, for example, if you're, the CEO were fired. The SEC would require that the company issue a 10K so that everyone can see that this happened. Uh, even press releases are normally, uh, a company is required to file an AK. We announced this in a press release. They, they announced, well, we've got a new uh, uh, supplier or we've got a new customer that's going to boost our sales by 20%. It has to be, if you've said that in a public announcement of some kind, you have to file a document uh, called the AK saying, we did this or this happened. And that's something that companies have to watch out for is that they might not think that there is a, for lack of a better term, materiality, but there is. And that means that uh, they should file an 8K. And I mentioned this in class, the many times when I, I was a consultant, I'd have these little public corporations 
They were doing pump and dump. They were just saying, uh, you know, we're going to put out an, an announcement about our disruptive technology. Boy, will that make everyone buy our stock? Well, they do it. And I'd find out later, you idiots. You, you, okay, you're going to do this. That's not the issue. The issue is that you were supposed to tell the SEC that you did this, that you made this public announcement. So the AKs are sometimes kind of ignored and they shouldn't be. So there's your eight, 10 Qs, 10 Ks, and eight Ks. And trust me when I tell you, there are so many others of these required filings. But I mean, they get to the point where I despair at them. How many different things, like if you acquire a certain level of ownership of the stock of a corporation, there has to be a document filed for that. If you give stock options, things like that, to your CEO or your C-suite people, you have there's a document for that. So just all you need to know are the 10Q, the 10K, what we call the Qs and Ks, and the 8K. You don't need to know a whole lot of detail about them, but just know what is what what they are. And the 10K is obviously what we really care about. Now the ETF, this term, the, the letters ETF stand for electronically traded fund. They are stocks, but they are compilations of stocks. So example, as the example I give in class is SPY. You can buy shares of SPY, but what SPY is, it is the Standard Poor's 500, that index. So in other words, there is a fund. All it is is the S&P 500 stocks in a well-balanced portfolio. They just put them together. And then you buy that SPY, you've bought the S&P 500. Not the whole thing, obviously, but you've bought an insanely well-diversified portfolio, which is managed by top drawer investment, investment people, and you are just riding the S&P 500 from there on. So that gives you an idea that if, you know, investing in individual stocks is fun for some people, fun. But it, if all you want is to put your money into the market and have it managed by professionals, uh, in uh, ETFs are one of the best ways to do that. You just invest and uh, just put $100 in every month or 50 and you just keep doing that. And there are these ETFs for anything. There's an ETF for the NASDAQ. There's an ETF for the Dow. There's ETFs that are tailored to industries. Uh, it, it's stocks only in healthcare or stocks only in international companies. There's one for anyone who wants to do this. Now, the alternative to the ETF is the mutual fund, which is sort of like a uh, an ETF, except that you are, when you invest in a mutual fund, the mutual and fund invest in specific types of uh, stocks and bonds. But as time goes on, you are act when you buy into the fund, you're actually buying ownership in the mutual fund. You're an owner of the mutual fund itself. And that's kind of a different animal than an ETF where you're just buying stock in a company that is nothing but stocks. Kind of a difficult distinction. But uh, most likely, if I were to hit you with this, it'd just be something about an ETF. What else you got for me? Inverted yield curve. I didn't go into it. Strike that one off the list. I mentioned it early in the course. When a longer maturity treasury debt instrument they, uh, has a lower yield than a shorter term. Like I, uh, it was early in the course I was showing you. And I, I just brought this up sort of casually, but I don't think I gave it enough attention to give you on a final exam. It is a, an inverted yield curve is a sign that a recession is coming. It has always predicted well. 
However, this last time, it was more inverted than it had ever been before. And I'll be darned if we didn't dodge the bullet. We're in a recovery. It never made it into a recession, even though the yield curve was screaming bloody murder. Here it comes. And there are still these big wigs and investments right now. We're saying we're still going to go into a recession. And all they're saying is they believe the inverted yield curve can't be wrong. But apparently for the first time in recorded data history of markets, it was. But I'm not going to push it I, because I didn't really formally. I I would have done that when I was talking about the Federal Reserve, but it, I didn't push it at the I, very much at all. So I will not talk. Ask that one. Let's see what else? Callable bond. Okay. You are a lender. You've lent a company money. You lend it to them by buying their bonds. That's how lending works in corporate and government. Okay. Some bonds have a provision where the lenders can say, I, I'm canceling our agreement. I want to be paid now. That is what in normal consumer loans is called an acceleration provision. A lender, if you don't make your payments, what the lender will do is call your debt in. It's a callable bond. They'll say, you have to pay it off all now. That's the way they kill your debt. They just force it. Uh, you have to pay the whole thing off at once. And of course, if you're not making your payments, you're sure as hell not going to have the money to pay it off. And that's how they get your house back from, uh, take your house away from you. Now, a putable bond is where you can actually pay the bond off. If you're the borrower, you can pay it off early. Like, for example, you got a home mortgage loan. You got that loan as let's say 9%, but now interest rates have gone down to let's say 6%. You can put that bond, that that loan back to the bank. Here's your money back, Mr. Bank, because you can obviously go out and borrow the money, same money again for 6%. So that's uh that would be a put, a puttable bond. It can be put back to the lenders. A callable bond can be called back by the lenders. Again, a, a puttable bond, it can be put back to the lenders. A callable bond, it can be called back by the lenders. But it's six, I can see only the. Well, you'd have to, we'll have to do that one in class because it's just taking the numbers from the problem and putting them in the right places in the Excel worksheet. And so I can do that one in class uh, on Wednesday. I can just push those numbers in. The main thing about the, all of these word problems, and this goes clear back to basic math, something that I've taught for years is in math classes, it's just getting the words out of there and getting the numbers in. And that's we can do that on uh, on Wednesday. I can uh, put the, show you where the numbers go. I can do that one on the board on Wednesday. And it's critical that you do need to know that. The quiz is, the attendance quiz is tomorrow. Uh, I'm sorry, on Wednesday. You have your attendance quiz, then you do your student evals, course evals, and then we go into the second phase of the review. Okay, accounting profit versus economic profit. Accounting profit takes your documented revenues minus your 
historical costs to get your profit. Revenues, whatever money you say you uh, it was in sales, minus whatever you paid, you've got receipts or you've got the bills to show. Now, that is not what we can do in finance. We have to look at economic profit because, as I said, some of the revenues that you make are not actual cash money. You put them on receivables. So that's not real money to you. In terms of economic costs, in accounting, everything is historical costs. And some of them you don't even pay when you get the bill. You pay them later. And so in accounting, your economic profit, your, your accounting profit is going to show money that didn't actually come to you, but it's in your revenue and costs that you paid that aren't really there. You didn't pay the you didn't pay your light bill this month. It'll be paid next month, but you've recognized recognized it this month. It's incurred, but it hasn't occurred yet. Now in in finance, we care about economic profit. For one thing, we look only at revenues that are actually there. That's why we look at if accounts receivable went up, well, that means that revenue that we documented showing didn't actually happen. More importantly, on the cost side, we do not care about a lot of costs that accountants care about because those are historical costs. Those don't tell us the future. One thing that's important in our world in finance is opportunity cost. That isn't measured in accounting, the cost of what you give up to, uh, to earn what you earn. We also don't care about sunk costs. If you've already paid it, it's gone. Your book value, that's a historical cost. What we care about is a replacement cost. So economic profit is better represented by that number that I've shown you how to do free cash flow, <laughs> FCS, because that recognizes actual, especially with respect to revenue, uh, with respect to cost, actual costs, capital expenditures, which you can't recognize all at once for finance or for accounting purposes. And also, and future expected costs, replacement costs. That's what we care about. Yeah, as far as Zoom goes, the way the Zoom works, uh, I can download it to my local computer, which would make this phone blow up. What I do is it's uh, recorded to the quote-unquote cloud, and then it's processed there. And that usually takes about four hours with a long thing like this. And then what happens is that they notify me and they give me a link to it and a password to it in the cloud. And what I'll do is I'll as, as soon as I get that message, it'll probably come later this afternoon or this evening. I'll put this in um I'll put this up as an announcement. FIL 240-001. You will click on this link and use this password to view the video. Okay, hurdle rate. The hurdle rate is a rate that's set by the company. And all it does is it says, if we get, we, we look at these proposed projects, get their internal rate of return. Any, any project that has a higher internal rate of return than our hurdle rate, we accept. So in other words, we look at three projects. We set a hurdle rate. Our company's policy uh, uh, policy hurdle rate is 10%. Well, the first project comes in at 12%. We say, go. That's We're going to do that project. The second one comes in at 10.2%. It's above 10%, so we say, go. The third project comes in at 8.9%. We say, no, it didn't meet our hurdle rate. That's all a hurdle rate is. What else? Let me give you a few minutes to see if you want to. Long versus short. Long means 
I'm buying, short means I'm selling. That's all it means. It's our it's our lingo in finance. Yeah, well, I'm going to, uh, oh, there's actually technically another thing that short does, but I didn't get to that this semester. But uh, going long means you're simply buying. Or I'm going to go short, I'm going to get rid of this stock. And that's basically what you're saying. Long means you're betting the stock will go up. Short means you're betting it's not going to go down. A bond is any debt instrument over about 15 years. A note is any bar, uh, debt instrument that's between one and, I don't know, 10, 15 years. It's kind of fuzzy in there. A bill is any debt instrument that must be paid within the year. So in other words, a one-year T-bill, that means that the government will pay you back what you lent it in one year. I got a bill in the mail. Well, no, you actually issued the bill, and they're reminding you that it's due in 30 days. That's what a bill is. A note, well, I'm going to get a car on a six-year loan. Well, what you're doing is you're issuing a six-year note, and the bank is buying it from you. That's the loan. And a bond, well, I, this company's got 30-year bonds. That means that they're going to pay them over a period of time of 30 years. So that is a very long-term borrowing. That's why they call them bonds. Rule 144. That restricts the ability of insiders with restricted stock from selling their stock whenever they want to. It gives specific rules for how much and when restricted stock can be sold publicly. So in other words, I'm a CEO. I've got a million shares of my company. Under Rule 144, I can't just sell it and say FTS. I actually have to say, okay, I can't sell this stock if I know what our earnings are about to be that I that we're going to announce, or I can't sell more than this amount of this stock at this time at during my window, and there will be windows set up for when you can and how much you can. That's Rule 144. Spot price. The, the uh, forward price is the opposite. Is okay. Spot price is what you pay right now. The forward price is an agreed upon price that you will pay at a future time. The book uses the term for futures price. That's incorrect. It's the forward price. So, for example, you tell the gas station, you go to the gas station, get gas, you're paying spot. But you go to a grocer and say, well, I should like a crown roast for Christmas. And I shall buy that on, I, I shall pick it up and pay for it on the 23rd of December. And they say, well, that crown roast will run you $12.99 per pound. That is a forward price because it's not the price you're paying now. It's a price that you are agreeing to pay at some time in the future. A convertible bond. A convertible bond is a bond. Okay. You owe me a million dollars. You bought. I. Uh, you borrowed a million dollars from me. Okay. So a convertible bond. I say, hmm. Your stock looks like it's going to go up in price. If I have a convertible bond, I can turn that million dollar debt you owe me into a million dollars of stock. You follow that? Now, obviously, I would be cautious about that. I'd, You know, the million dollars you owe me is kind of like a sure thing. But if I thought your stock price was going to go up in the next six months, I might be willing to trade, uh, turn that bond into stock because I'd make a lot more than my million dollars if the stock really goes up in price nicely. So that's a convertible bond. 
if it has that covenant in it. Got just a few minutes here left. Throw it at me if you got anything else. We all good? You'll see me again on Wednesday, and we will laugh together, we will cry together, and we will have one last good time reviewing for the final exam. Now, remember on on um, Wednesday, you do have your student evals to do and a few other uh, uh, miscellaneous items, and then have questions ready for me because I'll go through some spreadsheets as you ask, some questions from quizzes or from the midterm, and uh, get you all prepped up so that you can come back next week and rock on the final. Okay. Well, I, I'm going to just let it go. That's all I have for you today. Looks like we're doing good here. Email me any questions you have. That's all I have for you today. I thank you.